Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, as we begin year number 20 of the U.S. war on Afghanistan that Obama pretended to end, Trump promised to end, and it seems every U.S. presidential candidate from here on out, including Trump again, will promise to end, we look at how exactly destroying Afghanistan got started over 40 years ago. Our guests are Paul Fitzgerald and Elizabeth Gould, whose article at worldbeyondwar.org is called President Carter, Do You Swear to Tell the Truth? The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Paul Fitzgerald and Elizabeth Gould are a husband and wife team who in 1981 acquired the first visas to enter Afghanistan granted to a U.S. TV crew. Following their news story for CBS News, they produced a documentary, Afghanistan Between Three Worlds, for PBS and in 1983 returned to Kabul for ABC Nightline. Their 2009 book is called Invisible History, Afghanistan's Untold Story, and their 2011 book is Crossing Zero, the AFPAC War at the Turning Point of American Empire. Paul Fitzgerald and Elizabeth Gould, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Well, thank you, David, for inviting us on. So so what is it that's at dispute here that you're hoping that uh, former President Jimmy Carter might tell the truth about someday? (laughs) Well, we certainly did want to make the point that the crisis that Afghanistan is in today is directly linked to what President Carter uh, helped activate through bringing the big Nebrzezinski in as his national security advisor in 1977. What is particularly tragic about the situation today is that we are, as we all know, in the 19th year of this of, of the American invasion, but very few people understand that the U.S. involvement really has to go back to the point when Brzezinski's desire to trick the Soviets into Afghanistan with President Carter's basic uh, uh, approval and, and assistance uh, as the president, giving him the authority to, 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 to he was in control of covert operations. He was able to activate this program from the minute, practically, that the White House was taken over by the Carter administration. So today, it's impossible for people to understand without realizing that December 27, 1979, is actually the real activation date, and that the second date is October 7, 2001. So when you begin to understand that, then you begin to open up to the need to understand what happened preceding the Soviet invasion that actually guaranteed not only that there would be a Soviet invasion uh, triggered by Brzezinski's plot, but there would also be an endless catastrophe that was, was activated and that was guaranteed by the thinking and the methodology that, was, that Afghanistan had been put in as a trigger to win the Cold War to actually hold the Soviets down intentionally. And when they actually left after 10 years, most people were unaware that we know, for instance, in 1983, we brought Roger Fisher from the Harvard Negotiation Project into Afghanistan, and we found absolute evidence that the Soviets were desperate to get out. They had been sending the signal many times. We did this for ABC Nightline, and what we discovered when we got back to ABC Nightline was that Nobody really wanted in Washington to actually take advantage of this. This was part of the evidence of the fact that the problem was not 
uh, Charlie Wilson's war um, claim that the uh, Soviets, we have to get them out. The actual evidence proves it was the opposite. And that is the hardest thing for people to accept, that President Carter, who today is practically viewed as one of the only great presidents, um, you know, that, that uh, you know, since him, we, we haven't had that level of president, have no idea what President Carter really contributed to in the crisis we're in today with Afghanistan. So, so how, do you, how do you do that? How do you get the Soviet Union to go into a war and, and then to stay in a war that it doesn't want to be in? Well, that, that's, where the, uh, that's where the time period from the, the, the time that Carter became president until their invasion in 1979. That's the critical moment in time, and that's been completely suppressed and misrepresented in the American media, almost as if it didn't happen. Um, there are all kinds of things that were going on from the moment uh, Carter got into the White House with the big Brzezinski. Carter wanted much more covert operations being done. There was a program to basically, a, a right-wing conservative program to roll back Soviet influence everywhere and destroy detente. That was the whole idea. In the middle of that was the strategic arms limitation talks that had been going on under, under a, new, a number of different presidents. They had been negotiated over time, and uh, they had been signed. The first SALT treaty was signed, and then the, there was the anti-ballistic missile treaty was signed as well early on, I think 1972. And so we get into the Carter administration in the end of the Vietnam War, and you had this enormous institutional lobby inside of Washington and in terms of the media and the press who all seem to want to get on this bandwagon of, of uh, Russia's Vietnam, creating a Vietnam situation for Russia, for the Soviet Union, and uh, because of Vietnam as a payback. And so when we, went to, when we went to Afghanistan in 1981, when we got the permission to go there in 1981, that was our first direct involvement with uh, finding out uh, what this was all about. And we confronted a CBS News that basically wanted that story. I mean, we were told before we got on the plane, you know, we want pictures of basically of Russians bayoneting babies, like in Vietnam. And when we got there, we discovered that the situation was very different from what, what we had been reading about, what we'd been hearing about. Uh, the United States was basically funding these right-wing Muslim guerrillas in, fa in Pakistan that were being organized by the Pakistanis. They were coming over the border. They were burning down schools. They were attacking women. These people were very well-known, the people that were doing it. Gulbuddin Hekmatyar was one of them. He was the sure. primary one, actually. And he was very responsible for it. He wasn't particularly an effective fighter, but he had a very, but he had a very good uh, propaganda operation, which he developed with the, Pakistan, uh, with the Pakistani intelligence operation, the ISI, back in 1973. So he had been at it as a right-wing uh, Muslim fanatic for many, many years. And uh, he basically caught the attention of the Pakistan military, Pakistan's military has been carrying forward since their creation in 1947. They've been carrying forward what was known in the British Empire as the forward policy. So this thing goes back into the 19th century. The whole objective of the British Empire was to push from the south up into South Central Asia and up into Eurasia. And up against what was then the, the Tsar's empire was moving down from the north. And... Uh, at the early part, 1919, a little bit prior to that, prior to World War One, the uh, Russian Empire came to an agreement with the British Empire, and they ended this, they called it the Great Game. 
they uh, they ended that and basically established a kind of uh, uh, Afghanistan as a um, a neutral buffer state between the two empires. The United States never really got involved with it, never really had much interest in it. During World War II was the first time the United States actually even opened up an embassy there, and it wasn't until, I think, 1942 that they actually even did that. The British discouraged that from happening. The American ambassador tried to open up American relations with, uh, with, with Russia, I mean, with uh, uh, Afghanistan early on, and was prevented by the British Empire. So... What we have now is we have this kind of thing that was going on back in that time period. That that propaganda had lapsed into what was going on in the nineteen uh, in, in the nineteen eighties, the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties. So now what we have is there was so much propaganda put out during that time period. It was almost impossible to tell what was real and what wasn't real. I mean, a lot of books have been written. We've written a couple of books about it. A number of different books have been written by a number of, of, of uh, recognized authors about what was really going on during that time period and how much propaganda that was being put out by the West, by the United States and Britain, to kind of justify this covert war against what was going on in Kabul, against the Afghan government in Kabul. And so, uh, but they've been debunked. Those things have been debunked, and there's been some very good re- research. There's a lot of stuff that's out there. Suddenly... This article comes along in January of this year, written by this guy, Connor Tobin, and it gets published in all these very influential uh, uh, periodicals that, are, that deal with foreign policy uh, and, uh, and established foreign policy. And he basically says this whole idea, rooted in, in the basis of this interview that was done with Zbigniew Brzezinski in 1998, in which he admitted that the United States had intentionally lured the Soviets into a trap in Afghanistan, he basically writes this article and says, it's not true, that there is no evidence based on the official record that that, is, that, that could be possible. The, the fact is, is that the United States actually didn't want, the official record indicates the United States didn't want the Soviets in Afghanistan and did everything in its power to try to prevent them from coming in, but they were so expansionist in their goals and their objectives that they needed to take over Afghanistan. Liz? I would also like to add that uh, what we're looking at is the uh, power that was brought in through the big Nebrzinski, and this is the key to understanding how the crisis really um, revealed itself but yet was ignored, okay? President Carter was actually elected on a peace platform. Uh, the SALT Treaty and detente were actually very active at the time, particularly because of the end of the Vietnam War and the devastation to the civilian economy and the need to reinvest in the civilian economy. And that's what Carter got elected on. When he chose the big Ned Brzezinski uh, to be his national security advisor, it was literally a red flag. It should have been viewed as a sign of danger, but it was pretty much ignored by the mainstream media. But there were many issues going on within the Carter administration, and that's where the evidence is really quite profound, that President Carter definitely understood what he was bringing in with Zbigniew Brzezinski, and what they were able to put out was um, a a kind of cover uh, for a very, very massive operation. But there were many, many, many times, there were so many times when the internal situation revealed that President Carter, as I think Paul had already mentioned, he was already showing signs of moving away from uh, detente and, and, and moving more towards confrontation. 
um, in speeches that he gave that were preceded long before the 1979 invasion. And that's where, that's where the American people who actually elected Carter on a peace platform need to understand that the evidence that exists for in, in, in the White House and through uh, the relations that were going on with um, uh, the CIA director, Stansfield Turner, and Secretary of State Vance, where they were completely cut out of the decision-making practically by the way that Carter worked so exclusively with Brzezinski, who was a well-known ideologue and a Russophobe. And there is no way on earth that anybody who has any knowledge of the big net Brzezinski could possibly believe that he didn't go in there to actually end detente or try to and end um, the SALT Treaty, which is exactly what pretty much happened um, by the end of the Carter administration. We're speaking with Paul Fitzgerald and Elizabeth Gould, whose recent article is President Carter, Do You Swear to Tell the Truth, the Whole Truth, and Nothing But the Truth? Paul and Elizabeth, we, we know Brzezinski was the sort of guy who would have done what he confessed to in that interview. Uh, but if it happened, uh, what is it that the United States did to provoke the, the Soviet Union into the war? And what is the, what is the evidence that it did it? Well, the evidence is, is that uh, what was revealed, actually, before Brzezinski even did it, was that Dr. Charles Kogan, who was the chief of the CIA's operation, uh, uh, Bureau, uh, Bureau of Operations, uh, who ran uh, the, the operation in Afghanistan from 1979 until 1984, uh, he came out early on and, and admitted that, that President Carter had actually signed uh, a finding in July, on July 3rd of 1979, that authorized funding of the anti-government guerrillas in Afghanistan. They kind of minimized it. He said, well, it wasn't that big a deal. It was propaganda and some, you know, some things. It wasn't an awful lot of money, but it wasn't over its support. And, uh, but the intention was never to lure the Soviets into Afghanistan. And then Robert Gates came out with his book uh, in 1996, and, and he basically, Robert Gates, the former director of the CIA, he had, been an, he had been an assistant to Brzezinski at the National Security Council. He came out with a, sim, a similar kind of thing, a detailed explanation in his book, From the Shadows, where he talked about exactly the, the meetings and whether they should turn it into a Russia's Vietnam or not, and uh, with this special security commission that they had uh, set up, uh, and um, uh, coordinating council, the SCC, they called it. Uh, special counsel, and he basically said that, you know, they did, uh, they had all these discussions, and he goes through all the technical details of how they did that. But then uh, Brzezinski does this interview in January of 1998 with this uh, French uh, reporter, and he says, oh yeah, he says our objective was to lure the Soviets into Afghanistan. He says, we've been looking for a place to do it all along, and then we finally found that the circumstances were right to do it there. So anyway, and needless to say, that created a furor. All kinds of people came out from the left and the right, and they all said, oh, no, no, that's just Brzezinski. He's just, he's just bragging about it. He, the United States would never do that. The system doesn't operate that way. So when our book came out in, in uh, 2009, we did an event at, uh, at uh, Harvard, and uh, Charles Kogan, who was professor there, he'd retired from the CIA, he was, he was there, and uh, he came up, and he was the first man to stand up after we had finished our, 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 our report. 
And uh, he said, you know, he said, I, I agree with you on terms of the Soviets didn't want to invade. There was a very furious discussion in the Politburo over whether, the, uh, whether they should invade or not. He said, but this whole business about Brzezinski, he said, I, I just don't buy that. He said, I was in there. I was talking to all these different people at the time for five years. I ran the operation. And he said, I just never, I never heard of any of that. So I don't agree with that at all. So at any rate, that was in, 19, that was in uh, 2009 when our book came up, Invisible History. So we went back um, a few years later, 2015, and uh, we decided to just kind of make sure that, you know, uh, that we had, in- we had an interview with Kogan, that he, that he could tell us all the details about what he felt and what it was like to run it, and we, we thought we would be put the- putting together an elaborate documentary about this thing, and just to, just to set the record straight. And so anyway, so we get into the interview. I start talking to him about the way things were back then and the Carter administration and the op- opposition to detente and the fact that we talked to Paul Warnke, who negotiated the SALT agreement, who had told us point blank, he said, if, you know, if, the, if we'd signed SALT, if SALT was going to be ratified, he said the Soviets would never have invaded Afghanistan. So needless to say, he, start, he found this very interesting. And he said, you know, he said... You know, I never thought about that event, that, that 1998 Nouvelle Observatoire interview. He said, and until I went to an event at, uh, for Samuel Huntington at Harvard, and he said Brzezinski was there, and I went up to him and I told him, I never believed that whole interview. And he said, and Brzezinski looked at me and he said, no, it's true, I really did do it. And he said, we over at the White House had a very different, uh, at the National Security Council, we had a very different thing going on than you did over at the CIA. So here's the chief of the directorate of operations at the CIA who tells us, then tells us, he says, I didn't get a whiff of any of that during that time period. So if the chief of the directorate of operations who's running the, the covert operation doesn't know about what Brzezinski's doing at the White House. Well, actually, that had a lot to do with the way that Carter and Brzezinski set up the entire White House, which actually removed a lot of the control to Brzezinski and away from any other of his advisors. So this is why this particular evidence that does support the Afghan trap thesis, it actually supports the fact that Brzezinski did in fact lure the Soviets in. And the methodology, by the way, is really about co- the, his power was that he had covert operations. So he was able to begin to finance the um, Islamist extremists that were literally being brought in from all over the Arab world, and they were being trained in Pakistan and in, in, and in Xinjiang <laughs> province in China. So you have a lot of the, pre con- uh, the preconditions that were set up to constantly put pressure on Afghanistan that kept putting pressure on the Soviets, because the instability was actually right on their southern border, and the Soviets were very sensitive about their their southern border, which was Muslim republics, and that's what Brzezinski was trying to actually activate. He was trying to trip that wire. So this is all part of the operation that was actually quite secret, that, that was not really observable because of the way the um, the lines of communication were cut off from the rest of his advisors. So if Carter and Brzezinski acting alone as a pair of outlaws cutting out the CIA and the military and the State Department mm-hmm. uh, sent money and or weapons, I'm not clear if it's just one or both, to uh, fighters in Afghanistan, 
where did they get the money? How did they avoid uh, creating any record of it? And who who worked for them? Who who did it? They didn't, you know, Brzezinski didn't personally fly to Afghanistan with with suitcases full of cash, right? Somebody somebody was working for them, right? Well, that's we we have this off the books operation, and that's one of the really critical issues regarding Afghanistan and the real tragedy of Afghanistan during that time period. The you recall the uh, church the church committee hearings back in the 1970s in Watergate. The CIA was under a lot of pressure for stuff that they had been caught doing illegally in the 1950s and 60s and early 70s. Okay, overthrowing governments and installing puppets everywhere around the world, and then claiming it never happened that they weren't in, they weren't responsible for it. Well, they were being dragged on the carpet for all that stuff. So by the time Carter got in there in 1976. They were already under under the scrutiny of the media. They were under the scrutiny of all kinds of congressional committees. And so they moved it offshore. Uh, when Turner got in, he went and fired a couple of hundred uh, agents that were on the ground in all these various places in the world. What happened is, is that the Saudis, the Saudi Arabians stepped up during that time period. They had a, an operation that was con, uh, operated with a number of European intelligence services, with the French and the British, called the Safari Club. And what they did with the Safari Club was to basically finance all of these old colonial operations. It had been done in, piece by piece in the 1950s and 1960s. But by this, this time, they finally stepped forward, and the head of the Saudi intelligence went to basically the head of the CIA and said, look, it, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this. The Saudis come to the United States to the in relevant intelligence sources. Now, this is where it gets interesting. As you said, Brzezinski isn't the guy who actually went with the suitcases full of, of cash to pay this stuff off. A lot of this stuff was organized by British intelligence out of London in the 1976-1977 period, because they didn't want Carter's interference with this whole situation. So that is what it, they took over, the control mechanism of it during that time period, and, uh, and started funding these things off the books. They enlisted the Chinese right after, um, uh, uh, during the Carter administration, uh, during 1978, Brzezinski made a, an overture towards the Chinese. There was a, a very controversial effort that was made in, I believe it was May of 19, uh, uh, 1978, where Brzezinski sat down with the Chinese and said, we want to normalize relations with you on an anti-Soviet basis. And he said, we wanted to have to deal with what was going on in Afghanistan right next door, which was of concern to the Chinese. So as a result of that, what happens is, is that the Chinese picked up a lot of the issues that were happening at the time period, and they wound up supporting the Pakistanis. So between the Pakistanis and the Chinese, you had this whole operation that was being run off the books from, from uh, Pakistan next door, which the United States could then stand back and simply deny that anything was going on. It had already been done covertly. This is the situation we were dealing with during that time period. And so it, it enabled um, the Carter administration to basically put an arm's length to it. So by the time the Soviets finally invaded, in December of 1979, the situation was so out of control. But there's another thing that this guy uh, missed from his article, talking about how the United States did everything in its power. He completely left out ambassador, the U.S. ambassador Adolf Dubs, who went to Kabul in 1978, during the same time period, to try to keep knowing full well 
that the destabilization would keep the uh, Soviets, uh, the, the destabilization would bring the Soviets into Afghanistan, and he, his objective was to keep them out. He sat down with Selig Harrison, who was an Afghan expert, for four hours, and he laid out the whole situation. This would have been in August of 1978. So, and he's working against Brzezinski. Brzezinski's coming from the National Security Council. It's a stovepipe operation. Nobody knows about what he's doing. Even the CIA doesn't even completely know about what Brzezinski's up to. And so what happens is, is that Dubs actually confronts his own CIA station chief in early February of 1979 and says, what is going on here? This, this destabilization, all the things that I'm trying to do and that I'm authorized to do as the, as the, uh, from the State Department is being undone by the CIA. So his CIA station chief comes forward and says, oh, no, no, we're not doing anything. We're not doing anything. The leader of Afghanistan is not a CIA agent. And that's the story that has held up for since that time period, uh, is that the, the guy that was put in, Hafizullah Amin, who was running Afghanistan during this time period and that the Soviets came in to remove, was actually working for the CIA. The CIA comes forward and says, no, he's not an agent. They don't say whether he's working for them or not. They don't say whether he is basically working with the Pakistanis or the Chinese. He's basically not a CIA agent. The fact is, is that we did have talked to people over the years, and this is one of the, one of the benefits of having stuck with this story for so long. We did talk with a man who was a very high-level religious figure in the PDPA government, the People's Democratic Party government that was called the Marxist government. And we met him in 1981 when we went there. He came forward, and I asked him, I said, there was this whole story that Hafizullah Amin was going to go over to the Pakistanis. He was going to go over to the rebels. And that the rebels, he was going to go over to this guy, Gulbuddin Hekmatyar. He was going to bring him in. And he said, yes, it was true. He did do that. Okay? He did, was going to make that, that thing happen, and he was going to happen in December of 19, it was going to happen December 25th or 26th of, uh, of 1979. And uh, he said, but, you know, and he, and he said, the Americans are responsible because the Americans were completely informed about what was going on, and he said, and they sacrificed Amin. And he said he was very upset about it. And uh, the fact is, is that, um, you know, this, there was an entire operation that was never fully disclosed, and you have a lot of people in the pipeline who are basically, you know, sitting on the fence. They get information, even, even the good reporters, they get information from the CIA. They have contacts, they have people, but they never really expose the full story. Well, I, I think what we really have here is the effect of the total closure of information coming into any of the rest of the White House and the ability to move um, act activities forward. And part of what uh, Connor Tobin is relying on is actually the, this level of ignorance within the White House itself. It was certainly not well known by the, by the, the staff of the White House what was going on and by the, his high-level advisors in many cases. But the key, I think, to Connor Tobin uh, doing this now, it really has to do with the fact that Brzezinski actually, it would, it would be like um, if someone came forward today and said, I am responsible for setting up the assassination of JFK. I am the one who actually activated the whole thing, and I used the power of the White House. You can imagine what that would do. Well, that's basically what Brzezinski did, the equivalent of. Okay, this is a very, very... 30 seconds. 
provocative piece of evidence, and that's the reason they really want to get rid of it now. We have been speaking with Paul Fitzgerald and Elizabeth Gould. We could go on for hours. It's endlessly intriguing and far too little reported on. You can find a link at talknationradio.org to the article, President Carter, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Paul and Elizabeth, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you for having us. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talknationradio.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is supported by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.